Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me this fine evening, Nicole Davis, how are you? Good! Merry Christmas, everybody! Woo! Yes, this episode comes out the day before Christmas Eve, so hopefully if you are celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah this week, whatever it is that you're celebrating this season, we hope you're having an absolutely wonderful end of the year. Uh, David Luzader also joining us. How are you? Yes, happy holidays! Happy holidays! War on Christmas! War on Christmas. No, I'm, I'm good. You won't you won't find David at a Starbucks. Happy holidays. Pleasant well, Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Have a joyous Boxing Day. All that good stuff. Happy Eid it was like two months ago. Whatever. Yes, very. Well, we appreciate Enjoy. you uh, listening this week and including us in your uh, holiday travel or whatever it I is hope- that you're doing with podcasts. I hope the people are listening to us instead of spending time with their actual families. Truly. Uh, oh, God, why would you do that? Well, have you met some people's families? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> have you met some people's families? Yeah, nice. yes, I, I have met question. some people's families in my day. And they're awful. <laughs> Just kidding. Your family's well, do you know what isn't either. awful? Uh, this week's <laughs> New to Two. Uh, new to Two is where one of us gets to pick a film that the others have not seen before. Naturally, it is new to them. And uh, David picked a film, and he picked a film that was festive. It was perfect for this time of year. Before we announce it, however, I do want to announce next week's movie. Next week is a, a Netflix roulette pick. We spin the wheel. Netflix spits out a random film to us that's on the service. And we got Dolomite is my name, which is a Netflix original that got released in October starring Eddie Murphy. So we're going to check that out. But as an end of the year special surprise, we are going to watch the original film Dolomite came out, what, 1975? We're going to watch that as well and talk about them both. So we're adding something to the Netflix roulette to really add, hopefully, some additional perspective into the conversations around Dolomite. So check both those out if you have the opportunity for what it's worth. The original Dolomite is on Amazon Prime as we currently record. So you have the ability to stream them in at least two places each. So, or one place each. So there's options. But this week... We watched Tokyo Godfathers. Three Tokyo street dwellers find a baby amidst a pile of refuse on Christmas Eve and decide to find her parents. During their odyssey, they learn about each other's pasts as they discover where this infant came from. David, why did you pick Tokyo Godfathers? Well, I presented some Christmas movies to you guys, and you have at least one of you has seen any of the movies that I brought (laughs) forth, which is frustrating. Uh, And so I had to go a little bit more obscure, but still a great film that I haven't seen in at least 15 years. And uh, from what I could remember, it was a, it was a Christmas time movie and uh, you know, some themes of it while not explicitly Christmas, I think kind of fit into the Christmas time. So that's why. Absolutely. I never thought I'd be watching a an anime Christmas movie from 2003. Uh, it's really unique, and it's quite unlike anything I've ever seen before, both in art style and just in, in the content of the film. It, it reminds me immediately that in Japanese and in, you know, in the culture of Japanese animation, 
animation is not squarely for young people like it is here in the United States. Because I'm not sure I would recommend watching this with your kids. A lot of the the shows tend to be, you know, that's why so many of them take place in high school, uh, because that's the audience they're trying to court. But then you'll have movies, um, especially the movies of uh, Satoshi Khan, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but made some movies that uh, were definitely a bit more adult in theme. Absolutely. And I think this has some very adult themes. Nicole, you had not seen this before as well. Broadly, before we get into our discussion topics, what was your response to this movie? Um, at first, I had a little trepidation, um, especially with the introduction of the character of Hana. I was a little worried um, at the way she was addressed by her compatriots and how she was treated in general. Um, but by the end of the movie, I had found it uh, delightful entirely, and my worries were assuaged, and I'm going to go buy this. So, <laughs> Ooh, high praise. All righty. So we have these three characters that are uh, three homeless folks on Christmas Eve, or the day of Christmas, really. Um, there's Jin, Mayuki, and Hana, and they all come from drastically different backgrounds. Jin is uh, an older, you know, middle-aged kind of fellow that uh, had a falling out with his family. And there's a couple different stories floating around as to uh, is his wife and child, are they dead? Uh, What did he do before he was homeless? How did he end up in the situation? Then you have Mayuki who had a falling out with her father. Uh, She's a teenager. And then you have Hana uh, who is a former, you know, drag queen that, um, and they all find this baby that was left in a, big pile of trash on Christmas Eve uh, with stuff on top of it. Kind of crazy. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure how they thought that baby was going to get found. (laughs) That was my (laughs) first question, right? (laughs) Yeah, the person who left her there left, you know, a big bag with like powdered milk and photos of, you know, the family and a locker key and, you know, diapers and then covered the bassinet with a blanket, but left it in a giant pile of trash where it could have been overlooked for days, possibly. Yeah. Well, as we <laughs> learn, the people who are kind of involved in the, um, what's the delicate way of phrasing this? Baby theft? Abandonment? Kidnapping? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. You know, all those put together. Um, we're not maybe the most for. <laughs> Thought, thought people they didn't they weren't thinking no the kidding. long game in most of what they were doing True. no kidding and I, I want to talk about that a little bit later because that's a pretty insane twist in the story that pops up and surprised me seeing it for the first time i did not expect this movie to end the way it ended um but i did want to touch immediately on some of the themes of this movie because i think they'll lay the 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 groundwork for a lot of the discussion we'll have here. And Nicole, I think, put probably the most important theme of the movie, which is a family of choice versus blood relatives. And this family of these three people that are homeless is is a family, right? In its own weird, unconventional way, they're all closer to each other than they are to any of their families. Well, it's also uh, it's also completely conventional in its own way it is a mother father child right uh sure like the way they take on those roles is by choice i would say also a little bit maybe by circumstance 
than choice. They are people who have needs uh, that the other people fill. Um, they just happen to to come together and are able to get through a really difficult part of life uh, together. Yeah, absolutely. Because they all have these very dire circumstances, of course, that land them here. And I, and I like that about this movie because it's a it's a wonderful reminder that those who are homeless are usually not homeless for the reasons you think. And that's very much the case with all three of these characters. Um, maybe maybe a little bit less so Jin, because I know Jin does fall into some of those tropes of gambling and drinking his family away. Uh, but very much the other two fall into circumstances um, in entirely different ways than what you would expect. Mm-hmm. In the real world, or at least here in America, I should say, not necessarily real world, because this movie does a fairly realistic depiction of homelessness in Japan, as far as I can tell. But in America, it, people aren't typically homeless for very long. Most people aren't. Um, I think about a year is the time that a lot of people who wind up there by circumstance uh, will end up eventually no longer becoming homeless. But of course, then you have people who end up uh, there for years or sometimes, unfortunately, you know, their entire lives. And it seems like this trio has been together about six months because it said early in the film that, uh, that six months ago is when they found, uh, the teenager i just miyuki. had her name miyuki that's when they that's when they found her um and there's this interesting thing about how yes she could go home but she doesn't want to go home because she has a bad relationship with her father and that kind of happens when you stab your dad um <laughs> definitely that relationship can go down the drain certainly uh, ruins thanksgiving dinner no kidding uh but but i guess they're very <laughs> layered and that's what i was surprised at is as we start discussing these characters they are there's so much incredible depth to these characters that we only spend an hour and a half with. And we go all over the city with, you know, the backdrop to this film is, you know, barren pharmacies and streets and, uh, and the back rooms of a club where the drag Queens perform and abandoned houses and hotels and buildings. And you go to all these, so many different places. Like I went back and read a synopsis again after I watched the movie and it kind of blew my mind just how many places I had gone with them in 90 minutes. Yet it somehow also manages to have a very strong story behind each of these characters. Right. Although I was not, uh, I, I agree with you completely with maybe a little bit an exception with Miyuki Agreed. in that it's not totally clear how she got to the point of being so brittle that her cat being missing was enough for her to decide that her dad had done something nefarious to it and stabbed him Mm -hmm. i i agree there was a lot of that background that and i I meant to actually put that in our discussion topics that that was the one that i would have appreciated a little bit more depth on you know you could have added five minutes to the runtime easily and given us a little bit more of her backstory and what her right, like dad pressured her all the time and mm-hmm. she couldn't, was never good enough for him or something like that. And her yeah. cat was her only friend or some such. Sure, her mm-hmm. cat angels because he has a pattern on his back that looks like angel wings. Uh, I yeah. think the perfect place for that would have been when she befriends 
the uh, the assassin's the, wife, the assassin's uh, Hispanic yeah. wife. And there's this weird instance of the movie where a movie that's already talking in a language foreign to me starts introducing a second language that's foreign to me. Except since that second language is also foreign to the people who speak the first language, they don't subtitle it, so you're only getting half the conversation. <laughs> um, which is kind of great. I'd never seen that before. Which I think is actually really smart because there are other movies that will do that where they will subtitle the other half of the conversation just for the audience to know what's going on even when the character doesn't. But in this way, we get to see the relationship form just purely by the way they interact with one another. For sure. And and I want to return to that assassin because I have some questions there. Yeah, the important stuff gets communicated. I mean, I I speak some Spanish, so I was able to get the gist of what, you know, the hitman and and his wife were saying, but the most important things like the family relationships, that that gets across even without them understanding each other's words. Even though for some reason the the easiest way for them to understand each other is to just start speaking fragments of english to one another so yet another language <laughs> kind of gets added in a, into this uh stew of languages in, in those scenes but we're talking about the family of choice a lot you know these 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 three folks are together for various circumstances but there's also the families of blood in this movie there is the uh and and there, there's a couple i you know there is the fact that uh miyuki is estranged from her father and that Jin is estranged from his family um we never really get a lot of Hana's family, though, do we? Well, I mean, this is a common thing uh, around the world with people in the LGBT community is a lot of them get ostracized by their families, their blood families, very early, and they learn to make these networks (laughs) with other LGBT people or, you know, uh, parents of friends of theirs, and they move make these families of choice just out of necessity. You know, you need a support structure. You need emotional support in your life. And so this is, this is pretty common. I think, I'm not sure if Hannah said she was an, I think Hannah said she was an orphan. She was said she was an abandoned child. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That's a huge child. point of this plot is that she wants to find the mother who abandoned this child in the hope that she can get an explanation that hopefully is somewhat valid that makes her then feel better about the fact that her mom abandoned her. Yeah. 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 Um, So, so so we do have that. We do have that as well. And then I think as, as in addition to that, we have the, 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 the blood family of, of these, of these, of this couple that, that, took the baby and and we'll get into them a little bit later and how weird that gets. But another theme I wanted to talk about as well, since we're talking about themes is not only this theme of family, but also this theme of, of coincidences that keep constantly tying the characters together. A lot of this movie just perfectly lands where it needs to. And and normally that would annoy me, but it does it in such a, a poignant way. I'm okay with it. Um, You know, like, like how likely is it is that, is it that Jin will get, Jin goes out on this, you know, drunken stupor where he's just incredibly depressed and so sad and he, and he, and he faints in the street and, and one of the drag queens from this bar picks him up. And that happens to be the place that Hana and Miyuki are going for shelter when they don't have anywhere else to go. And that happens to bring them all back together. Well, you have to remember, we're dealing with a little bit of a fictional story here. And yeah, sure, that's a uh, gigantic coincidence, but it works for the story rather than spending an extra 10 minutes of them, you know, wandering around trying to find him. 
but that but also we get that great scene of him in the alley beat <laughs> right. up and the you know this mysterious figure with wings appears and it's like would you rather would you rather have my magic or an ambulance he says an ambulance which you know <laughs> i i can't say it in a way that it was as funny as it was in the movie so if you haven't watched it yet uh go watch it and and laugh at that part because it's quite enjoyable yes going how rude yeah <laughs> they get very offended <laughs> this person who was bleeding out in the street would rather have an ambulance right uh, and, and i think that's what i like about it though is that is that i was reading an article about this film and how someone called it you know the perfect christmas film in the sense that it has these miracles in a way that happen right every 10 or 20 minutes in this movie there's always a different miracle happening and it's it's the miracle of finding the baby and getting the baby safe it's the miracle of them always constantly finding each other again when getting uh, set apart and and the movie even sets this up in the opening scenes you know when they're in the 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 bread line and and hannah says you know i am a mistake by god in my heart i am a woman jin says uh women can have children and hannah says well what if a miracle like the Virgin Mary getting pregnant was to happen to a homo, which is one of those things that this movie, we'll talk more about that and how they talk about Hannah. Um, and then Hannah says, yeah, to the, language is, is important in that particular right. interchange. But yeah, like you said, and, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. And then Hannah says, yeah, well, I better give me a little bit extra. I'm eating for two, by the way, great joke on that later on when the person who is then serving them sees <laughs> Hannah with the baby Oh my God, she was eating for two, uh, <laughs> yeah. but but it's just this it's just this this drop of context where what if this miracle could happen? And I always wanted to be a mother, and I want to have that feeling, and I never can. And then, sure enough, ten minutes later in the movie, Hannah kind of gets to have that feeling, and it's very conflicting for Hannah, but she gets to have that feeling, um, and that just sets off this domino effect of all these things happening. I think which are very much like Christmas miracles. Well, one of them, quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, every, everything from finding the right food and what they need in the cemetery when they go and take the offerings for people, you know, who left stuff at the cemetery to the people they bump into right. along the way. Which is ingenious. Perfectly yeah, ingenious. You'd never think of that. There's uh, just all well, these perfect no. instances of, of, of these little miracles that just keep them moving, right? Like, they're never in the clear but they're always moving toward the goal of getting this kid safe and with its family again. Well, the, and the uh, miracle, the miracle I'm referring to is when quite literally a gust of wind, presumably from right. God saves Hannah from plummeting yeah. to their death. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm trying to unpack the end of this movie a little bit later on. Uh, but yeah, that's the most blatant miracle of them all. Right. And, and I think that's kind of what makes this, such a Christmas movie to me, even though it doesn't feel overtly Christmas aside from the fact that it takes place on Christmas. But I mean, that's also kind of a standard movie miracle. Apparently there is something miraculous about the content and behavior of large banners that people put on buildings <laughs> uh, because people can slide down them. People can like stick a knife in them and the and knife will slow them down enough that they can go all the way down and slip the banner on the way nice or they can grab it and it. swing from it. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> absolutely not wrong. Uh, but I just want to say everything that you just said, Brett, about how this is a movie, you know, through its themes and it takes place kind of at Christmas time and it's not really a Christmas movie. Uh, if Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this is a Christmas movie. 
Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to go there. Miracle fire hose. We don't have to say anything no. else more about it, but <laughs> refer to the, I believe it's the Geek Cinema Society feed. I don't think it was here. Yeah, so go, go and listen back to that old deep cut. Or follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I I'm still talk about it there. It, it'll show up this month if it hasn't already. It, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some of our other discussion topics as well. Um, I believe you probably put this in our docket, Dave. The four, uh, David, the four feature films of Satoshi uh, Khan. Oh no, that no, was, was me. That was Nicole. Oh, that was Nicole. Okay, well, let's talk a little <laughs> about those because I don't know anything about this. Well, I mean, I I can't summarize all of them for you because IMDb is not behaving for me right now. <laughs> um, but Tokyo Godfathers is actually I. David, have you seen all of these? So I recently saw Millennium Actress actually at the Alamo Draft House. Uh, bless them. Um, perfect Blue. So and we can just run through the movies uh, real quick. Uh, but I, I yeah. So 1997, Perfect Blue came out. That has been a blind spot for me. Um, I don't know how I haven't seen it yet. Uh, 2001, Millennium Actress. I uh, recently saw. 2003, Tokyo Godfathers. 2006, Paprika. Another one I've been meaning to see. And then, unfortunately, unfinished movie, Dreaming Machine. That uh, Right, which it, it was passed around um, between a couple of filmmakers, and eventually they concluded uh, Satoshi Kon had only finished about like 40% of the storyboards and mm-hmm. script, and they decided rather than finish it and make it somebody else's movie, that they would just leave it because if it were going to be made, they it should have been a Satoshi Kon movie. You know, unfortunately, uh, Satoshi Kon passed away in 2010 from pancreatic cancer. Um, so he only had these four feature films, um, but they are all very high quality films. And I would encourage people to go find them. Um, I think the interesting thing about Tokyo Godfathers is I actually find, find it to be, the most accessible mm. of his movies. Um, both Millennium Actress and Paprika have fantastical elements. Paprika much more so um, yeah. than that. I believe, if I remember correctly, Perfect Blue is sort of like a proto-Millennium Actress. It's similar in some ways. Yes, uh, um, my understanding. Millennium Actress is very interesting. I enjoyed it very, very much, but it is a little bit, uh, not for everyone, I will say. Uh, and well, I, I just realized something I commented in our, um, in our Slack about how good the animation was for this movie for being 16 years old. And I'm realizing now it's because Madhouse did it, which means nothing to most people, but like one person, in our audience, <laughs> I'm saying Madhouse did the animation for this movie. And they're like, Oh, it's crazy. Cause Madhouse is like this super highly respected, uh, animation company that, uh, is known for, making kind of the best of the best. Oh, very cool. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there is this interesting animation style of this film where the characters are very flat. Um, they're not like 2D. Mm. No, I, I just mean like, I mean like the actual character design is flatter. Simplified. Right, simplified in contrast to a incredibly vivid background of immense detail and 3d and and it just seemed it's a very interesting dichotomy between those two styles to me and i i kind of noticed a difference between them and i didn't know if that was something that's common in uh either his films or just in anime in general obviously i'm i'm the newbie the anime here 
I, I mean, yes. It, I think it's common in anime in general. It is. You, know, you saw Akira. Yeah. Yes. It is it fairly com- common in anime, but it's just, it's, I don't know. It's kind of funny now to describe the the faces in anime to be simplistic because they are. But if you do like watch enough and see enough, like you do see the ways in which they make them distinct. Uh, and there yeah. you know, are, are ways in which, yes, that characters look very similar, but how many times do we see people and think, oh, they look very similar. For sure. And I think it's less of that for me. And it's more of that even the, the, the style in which the characters are animated is almost done in this. It jarred me at first because it's almost like stop motion in a way where they they move in this motion that's not totally fluid. And in contrast to an incredibly detailed background, it felt to me like like the characters didn't have quite as much detail to their designs as the background. And that was okay because it was all part of this really cohesive product. Well, a lot of the times, I don't know about this movie, a lot of anime is actually animated at um, God, like 20 fam- frames per second. Um, probably something of this caliber is probably a little bit more than that, but they can get uh, much, much less than traditional uh, films. Yeah, it just, it just had an right. interesting yeah, movement they can get away to with Yeah. It does, but I mean, I think the the advantage of making the character design simplified is that you know even with lower frame rates you can make them move in exaggerated ways that convey emotion mm-hmm. um more directly than facial expression sometimes or you know you can exaggerate a facial expression to get something across and do it in like half a second and it's much more clear than if you had a live action person doing it um mm-hmm. I'm thinking yeah. in particular of the scene in the hospital where Hana is chewing out Gin uh, with his daughter and she is completely losing it. And you get this this weird sort of close-up distorting effect as if you're watching them with a fisheye lens. Mm. Like Hana turns toward what would be the camera and like one that eye gets bigger as she turns it toward yeah, and they're like bulging and veins are yeah, yeah. Whole nine yards. Yeah, and it's really getting the the anger and you know this suppress this emotion that she's been suppressing for a long time, and it's really getting that across in a direct and I thought pretty funny way. Yeah, Hana seems to be the character that gets the so much of the emotional content of this film. Because because Hana goes from yeah. from just complete and utter misery and crying at twenty different points in this movie to just completely being ecstatic about this child and and getting this like maternal love over this child and wanting to find the family and make sure it's safe and and it's just really a roller coaster. Belting out, climb every mountain. <laughs> right, just a complete roller coaster. Um, but that probably made her my favorite character of the film. Um, but. It did jar me as well, to your point, Nicole, about how they spoke about her. You know, this movie doesn't play around with just whipping around the F slur or saying homo, as as that quote so, did earlier. There's a lot of that. So I found um, a website that I was actually going to send to Nicole later because I thought she would really enjoy the read that is about uh, trans representation in media and talking specifically about Hana and how good Hana is. Uh-huh. Uh 
And there are a, a few times where the translation does not match up what is being said. Uh, so I'm just going to read right. here. For one, it consistently uses he, him pronouns, despite the Japanese dialogue never referring to her in such a way. Uh, a few times, Hana is called, and I'm, I not, don't want to butcher it, uh, by another character. The literal translation is smelly old man, to which Hana always objects to be calling, calling a man. Yeah. The subtitles translate it as old fart, removing the gender gendered connotations worst oh. of all is the choice to translate okama to the f word uh okama isn't easily translated to english but a more accurate and appropriate choice would have been to translate it as drag queen they're not the most respectful word by any means it has a history entirely separate from the significance of the use of f in the west so wait it, the the people who translated this said to themselves i don't want to include the scene where people call Hana a man, because God forbid they have context as to why that upsets her. But I'm just going to drop in the F slur. You have to. You have to understand translation, especially uh, anything pre ten years ago. You know, anime is really kind of taken off as being much more culturally uh, significant here in the West in the last ten ish years. Translation back then was farmed out. Um, and still is for some things. It is just, you know, we will pay you the minimum amount we can for you to translate our script. And that's why you get stuff that's not perfect because it's not being double checked. Uh, Interesting. It is just, it'll be one person's translation. I feel like that totally changes yeah, the I dynamic suspect- of Hana in the bar to me. In, in the bar where, where, in the club where Hana sings and someone yells at, at her and she has that reaction. I feel like I understand that reaction infinitely right. better now. Right. Yeah. They, they have the guy yelling, you know, that she's an old fart and she's like, or that, you know, uh, you, you sound like, you know, you sound like shit, you old fart and she'll go, you know, I'll, I'll accept shit, but fart is too far and attacks the guy. But that it makes so much more sense for it to be, you know, old man and her saying, I'll accept old, but not man. That's, you know, right. I'll punch you for that. And I think what happens is I went back, especially today, I listened to it again. And every time they made a reference to Hana, it's nearly always, if not always, it's Okama. And um, Okama is... Can inc- is this tremendously inclusive term? I oh boy, did I take it? De- Here are my notes about oh. how the LGBT culture in Japan shockingly uh, detail. Holy crap! I haven't written that much <laughs> since I was in college. Continue. Um, <laughs> but Okama can include gay males, feminine behaving males, crossdressers, trans women. Um, it's often used in manga and anime for outlandish, outlandishly effete men. Um, but it's the reason it's not considered a nice word is because it's also used for male prostitutes. Yeah. And- so it can encompass any and all of that. So I expect what the translators did was just like, well, it's boring to use the same word every time we translate it. Let's, you know, use some synonyms. Right for this one term that we think it means. Yeah, it it, so. it can be a bit of a slur. I believe it does come from a slur as well. But it's not polite. Yes, but it's not <laughs> as strong as calling someone that. 
Well, this this adds a whole new light to this right. to me, um, and makes me feel a lot better about enjoying the film, uh, because it is it is this beautiful film. But you you do question about how people treat Hana, and um, and 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 even just outside of outside of you know uh, identification and sexuality, they, they all three of them are treated so poorly as you know unhoused people in japan and nicole you commented in our docket that it's nearly identical to treatment here in the u.s and and then david you also put you know tolerated but invisible right and that is that is very much the mindset of the homeless problem in major u.s cities and all around you know it seems to be an issue in japan as well and uh it's it reminded me of how when i lived in denver um it was this big controversy that they would always ship uh homeless folks out of downtown and disperse them into neighborhoods as best as they could because they didn't want downtown to look like it had a homeless problem and that was how they dealt with homeless in denver and just ignoring the the problem and not offering you know solutions to the symptoms and doesn't seem like they're getting much help in this movie yeah i did a little bit of a dive today on um homelessness in japan which is where that phrase tolerated but invisible comes from it is basically they the homeless people do not do anything to obstruct people to get in the way to uh be obnoxious and as thus they are more or less ignored um they do live sort of we we saw sort of like the the little shanty that the three characters live in in this movie um those do exist there are like little villages that i guess kind of pop up that are a little bit away from more populated areas uh, and actually they cannot be taken down yeah it looked like a tent village in a park yeah. those cannot be taken down by the police or anybody um they actually have to be treated sort of in the same way as a regular eviction so they can get removed but it wouldn't be you know while they're out doing stuff huh uh and, and you said how this is a you're doing your deep dive into into japanese culture in particular in regard to this and it reminded me of train to busan where we had a very similar conversation about the homeless man in the film um, and how it is very much a character where it's in, he's entirely ignored until he's needed and relevant um, by just society as a whole, right? Like on the actual train, he's just completely ignored. So it's it's a heavy part of this, of this Christmas movie, um, but I think it, it paints a very eloquent yeah. portrait of of what this would look like for these folks. And there's a lot of very sad stuff in this movie. And, and that's what, that's what I found difficult about this movie for me personally is, you know, I made a comment to you guys when I was watching it, that I was like, wow, this is depressing because a lot of really depressing stuff happens, especially in the first half of this movie. You know, you learn all their sad stories of all these different people. Um, you see a sad old homeless man die, uh, which does have some comedic relief built into it, but granted, like it's very sad, um, you know, you see them get beaten up in the street and just, there's oh, all that's these the worst part. It's the, Oh God, it's the worst part. And yeah. it just keeps coming and they, up. they just, they can't catch a break. And as you start to meet these characters and how sweet 
each of them are and how much they care for each other and care for this child that they found and, and named. Um, and it just, it breaks your heart even more to see them in the situation they're in. And yes, it has the comedic relief all throughout the film, but it still was kind of heartbreaking for me in a way. It's still, and it's still sad for me a lot of the way through. It's, it's heartbreaking, but I think what helps redeem this movie is that it never treats their homelessness. It never treats Hannah's, uh, sexuality or identity as jokes. Uh, sure. That, like, well, I would. Ha- Hannah's the butt of a joke sometimes. Bit. I mean, yeah, a little she, bit. Yeah, I think a little bit in like sometimes the the movie will have her uh, run in a very flamboyant yes. manner. Let's say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so occasionally that does happen, but she's she is given, especially for her identity, she is given a lot of dignity mm-hmm. by this movie. Yes, other people are misgendering her, and while that might be a translation issue, I think it's probably also culturally accurate. Mm-hmm. Um and but it's you know because it's it's reflecting how society treats her but by the end of the movie both gin and miyuki are calling her hana you know they've dropped any derogatory nicknames they've stopped calling her he or referring to her as if she is a gay man and calling her you know hana-san or they they, they like, call her like Hana uncle or something or at one point Uncle Bag, yeah, like yeah. sort of. Yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be roughly like Uncle Bag Lady kind of thing, yeah, or right. Uncle Hobo sort of. Um, yeah, and and Gin in particular but, is the one that really has to win that over too, because like Gin is kind of ruthless to Hana at several points in this movie. One thing I like is that the movie does not. Uh, I, I like Gin's depiction as kind of a coward. Uh, that he, oh, yeah. I mean, he's shown as complex. I will say that. Like, I did really enjoy him throughout the movie and enjoyed a lot of his stuff. But also, at times, I was really frustrated with him. I was really frustrated with all of them at parts, but also uh, in their corner the entire way through. Yeah, because each of them, in a way, does have perhaps a way back to normalcy in some in some way, right? Like, like. Um, the teenager um, Mayuki can go home. She she just has uh, you know a lot of um, hangups on it that we don't theory. know a ton about. She could in theory. We don't know a lot about it. Um, and Gin invents this whole story about his family being dead because he doesn't want to face them. Uh, to David's point, and and then and he doesn't uh, want to admit to what he's done to Hana and Miyuki. Right. Right. And and then you have you have Hana who does have this this community um, at the club that that wants her to be there and wants to help her. Um, well, and Hana believed that she shouldn't go back because of what happened. I guess that's a little bit similar to Gin, but yeah, I, I just mean in the sense that you know there are some ways for them to find a way out of the situation in some way, shape or form. And they each have to find their own way, even if it looks obvious to us. 
Oh, and then there's something at the very end that makes it seem like they're all going to win out. They're all going to be okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, I'm moving us slowly toward the finish line here as we talk about the ending of this movie. Uh, I want to talk about the Yakuza subplot, though, because it's just so bizarre to me. <laughs> and I don't really know what it does so for the great. movie, but I'm kind of cool with it. I mean, like, it it gets them it gets them uh, the name of the mother. I know. I yeah. just love it. There's so many ways to do that. But what they had to end up doing is save a Yakuza boss from getting run over by his own car in park uh, to then have him take them to his daughter's wedding, who is marrying a different Yakuza guy. And then that guy what? gives him the info before being assassinated. He's marrying. No, the guy. No, no, saved. no. He's not. He doesn't die. Oh, he yeah, doesn't die. Right. We find out at the end of the movie from from Gin's daughter that he doesn't die but he gets shot like three times in the chest but it's not it's not another yakuza guy they save like the head of that section of the yakuza and oh right that guy is like one of his lieutenants it seems like who also owns the owns the the club that that um the mother worked at Mm -hmm. it's just it's such a weird way to go about giving them this piece of information (laughs) and it goes on for a long time because like there's a long chase scene with the uh with the the assassin (laughs) and there's this really fantastic scene where mayuki is being taken by the assassin as a hostage and there's this moment where you realize that the assassin is is as I mentioned earlier, speaking a different language than she's speaking. So she's trying to communicate with the assassin by like thanking him. Um, I think she's just trying not to get shot. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's such a great right. way to go about that. And I never would think in a million years that that would be a part of a movie like this, but it totally is. And I, I kind of love it. Right. He has to take her hostage to get out alive from the, you know, the wedding function. Um, right hotel or whatever and so he takes her hostage and he's yammering at her in spanish and what he's i believe what he's saying roughly is you know i i need you to get out of here but leave the baby put the baby down (laughs) we don't need to take her along and of course miyuki doesn't understand and so she's just clutching the baby the whole time and he's just like uh you know okay it gets right in the cab. It's, just, it's not going like i planned oh this assassination right. is just all over the place right. right he gets her out of the cab when they when they get to his neighborhood by being like come on you know, milk do you want to, does the baby the baby needs milk right and she's just like thank you very much <laughs> so they get out of the car and she's just nodding nodding and smiling and trying to keep him placated Right. So speaking of, of cabs, the true MVP of this movie, the random cab driver that they keep having to have drive them around town for free. Oh, he's so great. He's he is he's, great. He's a great comic relief character. Yeah, I love him at the end when they're making him chase the truck. Right. He really does not want to go any faster. He does not want to get any closer. And then they wreck like his his taxi gets wrecked at the end. But you, it yeah. happens yeah. off screen, but you hear it crash. And then you see him pointing in the direction that the, that the truck went. Um, he's still helping him. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's talk about the ending then. The ending, the reason they're chasing a truck is because they're chasing the truck with, that has the woman and a oh. baby in it. This is the woman that we believe initially to be the mother of the baby, but we soon find out, uh, was in fact a woman that had a, that had a stillborn birth. 
uh, and she lost her child before her child was born. By the way, another just kind of gut wrenching part of this movie to me. And in her yeah. in her misery, takes a different child from the ward, and it's this child. And they believe that this ch- that this is the real mother, so they give the kid to her before coming to the realization via you know uh, Gin talking to this woman's husband that that's not the case that this is not their kid and they have to chase her down yeah when you were like hey this movie is like dark and a little bit sad i was almost gonna be like oh no it gets better then i remember the part when the woman tries to jump off a building with a baby there are multiple like, uh, attempted suicides in the latter half of yeah. the story that are just mostly the same person mostly the same person but so yeah. incredibly sad because it's sad the first time you run into her because she is in this complete despair of not only having lost her child, but having lost someone else's kid that it's, it's, it's weird to me, but, and then she tries to offer herself again with the baby. And it's just a lot to take, David. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But they managed to get a laugh actually out of her first attempted suicide just because of the way the shot is set up they've got hana going in the the foreground and saying you know once once this child is delivered i'll have nothing in my life to to go on for and i'll come to this bridge and i'll take off my shoes and put them neatly down and get up on the handrail and say goodbye to the world and in the background the woman is taking off her shoes and climbing up right. onto the handrail and it's just it's happening so casually right. and they yes they, they walk by and they just kind of glance for a second without really taking it in and then like realize what's happening and it's uh, much more right and then they're all hey, 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 yeah. Hey, you know <laughs> yeah yeah and and there is a so, sad story like chiding her Right. <laughs> and, and there is a story behind that woman as well, because they end up finding her home, which is uh, which I found interesting because I understand going late on payments and going into debt and, and moving out of the home and getting evicted. But why was the house demolished? Like, it's a I'm shell sure. of a home with a door with no frame. And, and it's, it's a whole thing. And it seems like they was hit just hit by a bomb. But they find the house. Maybe and- it's something about there's a building going up next door. Maybe they're like destroying nearby buildings as well for some reason. Yeah, it's, but it, I mean, or, what I love about that is it, it in order to get information about why the house is destroyed and where the couple has gone, they find like this middle-aged woman comes by who feeds all the cats, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the cats in the world, apparently <laughs> um, uh, she's feeding all the cats at this lot. And she knows a little bit, about what's going on and then slowly like people start trickling in and there's this network of gossipy middle-aged yeah, the, women who yeah. each know mothers. a little piece of the story that's a great right. scene and, i love gathering the house mothers because that's totally the neighborhood i used to live in uh or would walk my dog in every morning you would have just this group of the the women that lived in this neighborhood walking together and gossiping and talking and so as soon as i saw that scene i was like yep that's totally believable that <laughs> i have seen that firsthand for sure yeah it's it's but we eventually do find the the couple uh who had their baby stolen at the end of the movie and they get the opportunity to have their baby returned to them and and fortunately the the woman who was repeatedly trying to kill herself does not die uh it seems like she might end up having 
the opportunity to start fresh with her husband and hopefully have a better relationship. That's what it alludes to. But we do have that scene where uh, it is the most stress-inducing scene because she tries to jump twice, and then Miyuki holds on to her, and then Miyuki starts falling, and then Hana jumps in, and the baby drops like 10 feet, and then Hana just like rockets down there, Spider-Man style, and grabs his baby midair, and then grabs onto this tapestry we're talking about earlier and just floats down as the heavens open up and light shines down upon her. It's a well, very... No, she, she almost plummets, but then like this gust comes up and like carries right. her back up again and then slowly, gently sets her down. Right, the banner acts as a sail, like a parachute, you know? Yeah. It's, just, it's a stress-inducing scene. Oh my gosh. Nicole, was this oh, stress-inducing yeah. for you as someone who didn't know how it was going to end? Yeah, no, definitely. But I mean, I I also figured it would probably be okay because, you know, she keeps, Anna keeps saying over and over through the movie that God loves this baby. Mm -hmm. And there keeps being these little miracles that provide, uh, you know, safety and sustenance for this child. Sure. I mean, they (laughs) are the, there's, there's something to be said with the Tokyo Godfather's that they then become the Tokyo Godfathers because the family makes them godfathers of the uh, the child. They're, right. What is the three wise men tie-in? Because I'm trying to locate what that is, and I know it exists. I'm not 100% sure it's the three wise men tie-in. It's actually, there's a, there's a John Ford Western uh, called Three Godfathers that's got John Wayne in it with about three outlaws that are... Give, given charge of this baby on Christmas and which, have yeah. to take care of it and give oh, it to okay. safety. Which uh, this the, that is also based loosely based on a book that this movie is also loosely based on. Oh, so interesting! The, the anime uh, version of same source Three material. Godfathers. Because I, I I had it in my mind and and I, I was reaching here and I realized that, but I was thinking about these these three people that come across this baby in a you know pile of rubble much like you know three wise men coming across a baby jesus in a uh you know abandoned what? manger um abandoned me the mother and father were there well no i know that but what i mean is like it's like <laughs> sure but like what yeah, i mean is like abandoned is like, to the baby jesus <laughs> no 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 i get that i guess what what i mean is that uh abandon is not the right word i mean that like i feel like christian imagery often forgets that he the it was not a nice barn. <laughs> like this was probably a pretty going cl- for the Yeah. I, I don't think they're going for the three stretch. wise men. Yeah, I, I realize that now, but I was I was looking no for that. Star, there's no they sure. don't bring any gifts. Yeah. yeah. Right. They, there's no gold, frankincense, or myrrh anywhere in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh but there are uh lots of Christmas date references. Nicole, do you want to talk about that? Oh, no, I mean that's just one of like the the many repeating elements in this movie. Like there's Kyoko keeps repeating. You've got baby Kyoko. You've got the mob boss's daughter is named Kyoko. Um, The one of the teenagers who is, who comes to help beat up the homeless guys gets on the phone with a friend and it's like, Oh, you know, is Kyo going to be there? And Kyo is the a more formal form of Kyoko. Kyoko is sort of a, a diminutive form of it. Um, and then there's the nurse, Kyoko, who is Gin's daughter. So that keeps repeating. You get 
the 1225 repeats all the time. It's on the locker key. It's the number of the cab. It's the amount of the fare. Mm-hmm. It's the stopped clock in the half-destroyed house. Uh, Angel repeats. The cat's named Angel. Uh, the woman in drag is is an, dressed as an angel. The bar is called Angel Tower. The brand of <laughs> the cab company is called Angel Cab. So there's a lot of echoes and callbacks throughout the movie. And Kyoko, as it's explained briefly in the movie, it's a mixture of, you know, the word pure in Japanese. And then it, what it loosely translates to, I believe, is like Silent Night is where they were getting that from. Silent Night, yes. Yeah, so... Uh, very, very cool. Um, and then let's talk about the very ending, which is we see a shot, the old man that had died earlier in this film, and we didn't talk too much about him. I mentioned him in my spiel about how depressing I thought this kind of was to me at times. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, Gin does, ha- does have this this great scene, sad, but also funny, which is a lot of this movie, uh, where this old man <laughs> dies with him in this in one of these shanties. And the old man, like, you know, dies and then he tries to close his eyes and the eyes open back up and he needs another drink because he's not dead yet. And and finally the old man passes away and hands him this sack and we see the sack in the hospital ward at the end on the floor and it's got some bills in it, but it also has the winning lottery ticket. Um, so it's Santa. The oh, white haired, oh, white beard has a little bag full of gifts. Oh my God. <laughs> Ooh, right over my head. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're I mean, totally it's right. It's an alcoholic Santa, but right. <laughs> it's a homeless alcoholic Santa who dies. Yes. Uh, <laughs> dead Santa. Man. Actually, no, that's like most of my Christmases. So, you know what? They're right. Oh, God. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, David, you put, you know, is the ambiguous ambiguousness or amb- ambiguity of the ending satisfying That's enough what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah <laughs> or would you have liked to see a little more resolution uh nicole what about you what do you think i think they stopped it at the perfect moment i think it would have been a little too cloying to throw in an extra two minutes showing you know they're they're rich now they you know they won a lottery <laughs> prize that's roughly equivalent to half a million dollars um so they're they can be not homeless now and uh you know she's reunited with her dad and you could see her hugging her dad like sitting on the couch with her parents watching tv or having dinner with them or something with her cat on her lap or you know it would have gone over the line from the coincidences being eh, a little much but okay into just overly uh pushing the sentimentality too far yeah i almost didn't like the the lottery ticket thing i just felt yeah they didn't need it yeah it's a little bit too much neat of a bow of like no like their problems are solved it's like no like kind of through the course of the movie you get how these people are going to move on to the next stage of their life it doesn't need to be like and now suddenly they have a lot of money right hannah knows she can go back to the club gin Mm -hmm. can have a relationship with his daughter now mm-hmm. and Miyuki can go home, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I mean, I mean the lottery ticket. and I, and I do like the ambiguity of, of like not seeing Miyuki going home because we, we know she's probably going to, right. But because mm-hmm. she's had this, this turmoil throughout the movie where she will just like call her dad and 
hear him talk on the phone for a minute and then hang up and be upset. And she has this turmoil of, you can tell she wants to go home and, and you know, she's going to go home. And, and to Nicole's point, you, you know, they all kind of have their next steps. And I don't know if you need it. I kind of imagine having spent an hour and a half with these characters that they don't even really notice it for a long time. I could kind of just see them going on and doing whatever they do. And at some point realizing they won the lottery. (laughs) Um, It doesn't seem like something they just, because it's sitting on the ground right there and they still haven't noticed it. Uh, So I I like to believe that this wasn't even like an immediate thing, that this is something they find way down the line um, or maybe never find at all. (laughs) And it just shows like that their luck has turned and that, you know, they are going to have a better life, but they don't necessarily even turn in the winning lottery ticket. There's, there's something there, I think. Yeah, so, plus if they wait, if they I mean if they wait too long, the lottery's gonna roll over. Yeah. I, I guess they gotta get on that one. We'll, we'll never know though. Uh Tokyo Godfathers, it was new too for me and Nicole. I wholeheartedly recommend this. I thought it was, you know, delightful, as sad as I thought it was at times. It was the perfect balance of of the harsh reality of a lot of these things we've talked about mixed with the Christmas spirit. <laughs> like they do have those Christmas miracles and they do have the happy ending I want. And uh, I, I thought it was just lovely. I really, really enjoyed it. What about you, Nicole? I found it, even though it was, it it had a lot of darkness to it in places. I still found it, optimistic and sweet and had these loving relationships between the characters uh, who were not blood related, but had had made a kind of family uh, among themselves. So I, I really, I really enjoyed this movie and I'm going to purchase it and it's going to be a regular Christmas watch for me, I think. Right on. Very, very good. David, do you have any final thoughts on your new to two pick? Um, I think that if you, uh, I, I think we've watched anime on this show before, but I'm just going to reiterate, this is another great one where if you think anime is all Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon or, uh, you know, high school kids not talking about their feelings for one another, it is those things, but it is also a very <laughs> great thoughtful medium that movies like Tokyo Godfathers can exist in. And I think that if you're looking for a movie that is a little bit different this holiday season, but still fits all those themes, check it out. Absolutely. And I'd like to recommend an anime TV show called Oran High School Host Club, which you features and my high girlfriend. And <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm a big fan of some of those shows. Thank you very much. Oh, so am I. Don't get, we don't have time to get into it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what we do have time to get into? Angry and delighted Star Wars fans. So we had that episode come oh, out boy. about <laughs> The Last Jedi. And boy, did you people we have things to say. We asked for it. We wanted feedback and we got feedback. And let it be known that we would love to end every show like this with lots of feedback. So if you would like to give us this feedback, uh, the Facebook comments are a great place for it. That's where this really blew up and had a lot of discussion. If you want to email us, it's hi at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you. I'll go ahead and read one here from Hans. The Last Jedi is awesome and is up with the best of the Star Wars films in my opinion. I'm a massive fan collector and I saw Star Wars in 1977 as a nine-year-old. The movie was brave to go places. 
Uh, why whine about the casino scene? All Star Wars movies have flaws. They are far from story acting brilliance. It's probably the best shot, too. I like where your head's at, Hans. Okay. Hans. <laughs> Ryan wrote, 20 years ago, the prequels were ridiculed and hated. Today, they are fondly remembered by the adults who were kids when those movies came out. The same will happen for this movie. I already love it, though. And Graham responded, I grew up with the original trilogy and loved all of the new films. I think people forget they are essentially kids' movies that adults like to watch. Cannot wait for the next one, and my 40 years of waiting for this story to end will end. Bloody long time, like... Yeah, and David, you actually mentioned that on the show, that this was something that is still at its heart you know, for children, and, and I also responded to Ryan and said... Hey, I I'll stand those prequels, even though I know they're bad. I grew up with them, so I, I totally get where he's coming from. Yes, and we have one last bit of feedback from Pete. Pete wrote, "Great episode. I'm not the one for echo chambers, but I've gotten to the point where I basically don't talk about this film because I'm just told how wrong I am. I feel like I can talk about it here. All Star Wars films are flawed, while not flawless in my opinion. The Last Jedi is as close to flawless as we have seen in this saga." I think bold steps were taken by Johnson. I understand why they didn't work for some people. I am beyond ecstatic that they worked for me. This was Star Wars. This was the Star Wars film I'd been waiting for my entire life. And I love the Mary Poppins scene, though I hate calling it that. I think it would have been shot. I think it could have been shot better, however, in light of Carrie Fisher's death. It said a lot to me. It seemed to put into one short scene how Fisher lived her life and had her life story had been a work of fiction, presented a completely in-character reaction to death. You think I'm dead? F you. I'm not dead until I say I am. The one thing I will disagree with you guys on is regarding the Yoda scene. You mentioned the dynamic between Luke and Yoda was different because now they're on even footing. My reading of that scene, and one of the many reasons why I love it, is that both characters had reverted to their previous roles as often happens when old friends meet. Yoda was was an eccentric old guy, who was actually teaching a profound lesson, and Luke was the impetus younger man who had to be made to stop and think. It reminded me of the moment when Luke first realized he was talking to Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. It was a lovely nostalgic scene that I found very moving. I thought that was an awesome piece of feedback because I didn't even really think of it that way. And I think it's it is very valuable that Luke is still the impulsive one, and I think I think we lost that in our discussion. He's the one trying to burn the Jedi text to the ground and burn the tree, and Yoda does come in to have him calm down a little bit. And and I I totally agree. I mean, after I hear about talk that way, I totally get where you're coming from, Pete. Thank you for your feedback. And I did want to throw uh, one in here of people that hated it. We got a bunch of those, and there were some that were more aggressive than others uh but ashley said i hate it but i enjoyed everything else disney has put out ryan johnson was trying way too hard to be edgy and it made for a boring depressing watch i can appreciate that ashley Uh, i know some people do critique the film for being a film that is definitely on the sadder side of star wars as we talked about on the show it not a lot of the good guys come out winning at the end so hopefully in that regard the uh, Rise of Skywalker will be more along what you're looking for from Star Wars, because I I think the good guys are going to win. We'll have to find out, though, in two weeks. Or I guess we'll have already found out when this episode comes out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I will have already seen it at least two or three times, and it will have only been out a week. Uh, Very good. Well, guys, very quickly, where can we find everybody online? Nicole, what about you? I take care of our Facebook page, facebook.com slash 
Movie Go Round podcast. You can leave us feedback there, which is where most of this came from today. Absolutely. What about you, David? You can find me on Twitter under Davluz. That is E-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find all my other stuff there. Absolutely. Find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Find the show on Twitter at as well at Movie Go Round Pod. Be sure to go ahead and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podchaser, wherever it is you review and listen to shows so we can help grow the audience so we have more opportunities like this to respond to your feedback on the show create a dialogue, create a conversation. And also you did this to us is a whole lot more fun when even more people are in the house trying to make our lives miserable, but that'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We will be back next week with Dolomite is my name and we will be watching Dolomite, the original film as well. So if you'd like to follow along, be sure to do that. It's a Netflix roulette, but the original film is on Amazon prime video as we record this. So you have some options for watching along. We hope you do. We'll see you then.